How can we as studio owners create and grow a business that generates consistent income and runs impeccably so we can live a comfortable lifestyle without working crazy hours or being chained to our business? This podcast is designed to answer that question. I'm your host, Alicia Jonas. Thank you for tuning in and let's dive into today's episode. This episode of the Dance Studio Amplified podcast is sponsored by my own Amplify Mastermind for online business owners, the brand new 12-month high-touch experience for business owners, consultants, and educators looking to cultivate their industry expertise and grow their business online. Amplify will give you the most up-to-date strategies, methods, and technologies and show you how to apply them to your unique business to maximize your results level up your visibility, and increase your bottom line. Whether you are looking to create consistent five-figure months, launch your signature program or product suite, or want to start a movement in your industry, there is one thing you can't afford not to have, and that's accountability and support from a tribe of like-minded women, like you'll find in Amplify. The program kicks off soon and spots are limited. Go to bit.ly slash track to learn more and apply. I can't wait to see your business blow up in the next 12 months. Hello, and welcome back to Dance Study Amplified Podcast. My name is Alicia, and I am super excited to welcome you back today for another amazing guest, Katrina Kohi. Katrina is the owner and founder of Different Drummer Dance, a dance studio and online community based in upstate New York that's on a mission to teach dance from the inside out. I absolutely love that. Different Drummer Dance takes a bright, fresh, and big-hearted approach to dance education, focusing on growth mindset and body positivity to teach dance holistically. Katrina trained in the RAD style, passing both her advanced two exam and completing the RAD CBTS program. She grew up in California, dancing with the San Francisco Conservatory of Dance and danced professionally as a flamenco dancer for many years. Amazing. So versatile. She graduated with a BA in theater and dance from Cal State East Bay, where she trained with noted Bay Area choreographers Nina Haft, Eric Coopers, and Laura Elaine Ellis. And she performed and taught across the United States and Canada, including Vancouver, New Mexico, and New York. When she's not teaching or coaching fellow dance educators, Katrina writes for the magazine, The Wonderful World of Dance, explores the Adirondacks, travels home to California, and makes awesome messes and creations in her kitchen. I love that bio. (laughs) Thank you so much. Welcome, Katrina. (laughs) Hi. Thank you so much for having me. Oh my gosh. I always learn so much about my guests when I read their bio. So much. <laughs> like like the background, the education. It's amazing how we, our journeys kind of wind us around and how we end up where we are, right? Totally. Yeah. I find bios and intros too to be such like a good but challenging like way to distill everything that you're about in like a nice cohesive little nugget. So they're always challenging for challenging for me to write, but I appreciate like the exercise of doing them. Right. Right. And there's so much, it's like, well, what's, what's important in where we are at. There's so many little things that we cannot even begin to talk about in our bios that have shaped us and have given us, you know, the values and the philosophies and the education that we have now that we share with the world. Um, But yeah, and it's also a way to relate with 
with other people who are doing the same thing or other people who are aspiring to do the same thing. And so I love just, I, I like including like the full bio, right? Because, um, you know, we never know what, what our lives are going to hold and where we might end up. And there might be somebody right now who's at Cal State East Bay that <laughs> is, is like, oh my gosh, Katrina did this. And, and now look at her and I want to follow her. So thank you so oh, much. For yeah, thank you. Yeah. Okay. So talk to me a little bit more about what you do. You know, you have Different Drummer Dance, which is like a studio and an online community and courses and mentorships and all that good stuff. So talk to me a little bit more about how that became what it is today. Yeah, absolutely. So I have always had a dream of opening a studio. Um, and when I was living and teaching in California, that dream just seemed so far away because California real estate is ridiculous. Um, so I, I taught all over uh, through youth and rec centers and, you know, at both private and not-for-profit not studios. Um, but I always had this dream of like, oh, I want to do it my way. I want to open my own studio. There's so many things that I would like to do. Um, so the first step into that was actually I started doing dance birthday parties. So I would travel around the Bay Area um, and I would do birthday parties. I made my own tutus and we did a lot of props and I based it around a story. So it was kind of, it was just like a really fun kind of whimsical first foray into entrepreneurship. Um, but even when I started that, I knew that I wanted it to be something a little bit bigger. I just didn't know what that was yet. Um, so then this would have been three summers ago now, my, um, my now husband and I moved to upstate New York, which is where he's from. And um, because there was just so much change going on at that time, I figured, well, why not? Like, might as well take a risk and like try something new. And the house that we were actually renting, it was giant and had this perfect little room where I could hold dance classes. Um, so at that point it really felt like, like I, I couldn't make any more excuses. Like I had, I had the building, you know, there were kids there. It's a small community where I am, but it was still definitely enough to start. So I ditched all the excuses and started holding classes in the house that we were renting. And that was three summers ago now. And it's just, it's taken on a, a whole new life since then. Like I wouldn't have ever imagined like four or five years ago when I was struggling, you know, to make ends meet teaching at like seven different places that my journey would have taken me here. Um, so yeah, as you mentioned, I, I do dance classes. So different drummer dance is a studio that I run here. Um, so I teach about four classes a week. It's a really small community where I am. Um, but I love teaching the classes that I do teach here. And then to just keep like amplifying the work that I do, I started thinking more outside the box about how can I reach other dance educators? What are some, you know, elements that the dance community really needs work on or what are issues that I can help address and how can I be of service? So one of those issues that's close to my heart is body positivity. Um, just because it's such, I mean, you can't get into dance without talking about body image and, you know, the health of the body and of the mind as well. And those conversations are wonderfully becoming more and more common in, in the dance community. Um, but body positivity is especially close to my heart just because I struggled so much with body image and disordered eating and 
all of that kind of stuff, um, which, you know, women and girls especially deal with, but it's so much more amplified in the dance community. So I, um, I started putting together a course for dance educators and dancers themselves, but it's really, it's, it's a better program with a dance educator or studio owner kind of at the helm of facilitating the program. Um, so that's one of the courses that I teach online, body positivity and empowerment in the dance classroom. And then just this, um, this year, I started to dive a little bit more into coaching for dance studio owners. Um, and the newest program that I've started, the Peace Pathfinder, really came about because, again, I look to the dance community to see kind of to take the temperature and see like, what are the things that are universally kind of bothering us or where do we need help and where do we need support? And one of the things that I noticed is we just have so, there tends to be so much drama in like the dance studio world or when we all get online together and we start, you know, collectively talking about our problems, which is an important thing to do, but then it can also be this kind of black hole that we get sucked into about just how everything is dramatic and, you know, studio parents and staff who, you know, we're not communicating with or they're not getting along. And so I developed the Peace Pathfinder program to really help studio owners kind of pull away from that mindset and really hopefully give them some tools and strategies to ditch the drama and not only have a more peaceful dance studio life, but a more peaceful personal life as well. So I know that was a really long winded question or answer. No, that's okay. (laughs) No, that's okay. So talk a little bit. So the Peace Pathfinder program, we'll definitely make sure to link that up in the show notes. Talk to us about what were the common threads that you were finding through all of these studio owners, like drama, yes, and and disordered eating, definitely something we need to address. But so when you developed this course, what were the common things that you wanted to to address as far as is it competition, is it communication? What are what are kind of the foundation um, core things that we need? in our studios to help address from a sense of peace or create more peace inside our studios? Mm, That's a great question. I think for me, from my observations and my personal experience, it really comes down to boundaries. Um, And I see that all the time with other studio owners, you know, because we're so passionate and we're so driven and we want to make things happen and make things work. And a fair amount of us are people pleasers. Um, You know, boundaries are really hard. So when people, either studio parents or staff members come to us with this like frantic question at like 10 p.m. or 11 p.m. or they're texting us all night or you know, they are talking with each other because they're trying to figure things out and then that creates drama. It's it For me, it all comes back down to that boundaries. Like, have you set a boundary and an expectation with your staff, with your students, with your parents about when it's okay to contact you? What's the chain of command if there is a question? Like, is there somebody else that can deal with a question before you get involved? Um, and that really for me was where I felt like all of the drama was starting with the boundaries Mm -hmm. and the kind of lack of communication and just not really knowing how to navigate that because it is a really tricky area to navigate. And then you put on top of that, like we're small business owners, we're trying to, you know, we wear 5,000 hats and we are trying to please people and we do want people to come back and have a great experience at the studio or in the dance class. So it can just be a really tricky place 
to navigate and still honor yourself and your own needs so you don't just, you know, dissolve into a puddle of uselessness, right? <laughs> because you're tired and overworked and whatever. Um, so boundaries for me was the real foundation for the Peace Pathfinder program. And there are a couple other, there are two other elements within the Peace Pathfinder that we focus on that really just help support that those healthy boundaries and making sure that everybody is on the same page and communicating and respecting each other's time and efforts and energies. Um, but I would say even with the body positivity classes, I can see a connection to boundaries there as well, because so many of us in, in dance, we teach the way that we were taught. Mm-hmm. which which mm-hmm. is great, you know, because it is a tradition that is handed down through generations. But we also need to do a good like dusting off and cleaning up every once in a while, you know, with any with any kind of technique or any tradition, like what is, you know, what was acceptable, <laughs> like 200 years ago, isn't how we teach and how we move and how we live now. So for me, you know, when I get into a classroom, and I I hear these phrases about like suck in your stomach or those type of mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. We, that we just say because that's how we were taught and that's how, you know, yeah. that's what we, that's what we are handing down. To me, it comes back to like, well, let's teach kids, let's teach dancers to create healthy boundaries within their own minds as well, right? Like a big part Mm -hmm. of the body positivity class is helping students to recognize when they get caught in this loop or this train of thought of kind of self-destructing and um, and putting themselves down. Because as much as we have like the external boundaries, we also need to have boundaries within ourselves and have that recognition of, oh, wait a minute, I'm like, I'm not speaking very kindly to myself. I need to take a step back, change my language. Um, Mm -hmm. So I can see a connection as far as boundaries with the body positivity classes as well. That's for me, that's a really big thing. Yeah, for sure. And I feel like, and I was talking with a, there's another interview I did with a nutritionist that's going to come out in a, on this, on the podcast too. And we talked at length about like, even, even if your instructors are saying, Oh, these leggings make me look fat or, Oh, I feel fat today. Like you're, you may be saying that about yourself, but your students definitely take that and like interpret that whatever that might mean to them. And so I think it's very important for us to watch how we talk about ourselves in front of our students and not, there's no place for that, right, in the studio. And even like this year, I've started asking my instructors, you know, we were always taught that hands-on corrections are part of dance, right? Their hands-on corrections are needed. Sometimes we need someone to to lift our elbow or to kind of um, align our pelvis in ballet class, right? And I've started telling my teachers, okay, now we need to ask that student for permission Mm. for hands-on corrections because Mm -hmm. we want to teach our students that any physical contact is is something that they need to get permission for. We want to, this is a, this is a new day in our, in our culture and in society where, you know, we can't just grab students and, and manhandle their bodies and, and expect it to be okay. We need to teach them to give that sort of consent for those sorts of things and develop those healthy boundaries for themselves too. And that that's the new expectation is that they need to be able to, to tell us it's okay to lift them and tell us it's okay to, you know, adjust their knee in that Dave Lope or whatever it is. So I think that that's a really important change that is new that we need to all be kind of 
mindful of, right, in our studios and in how we interact with our young dancers and developing those boundaries, as you said. Yeah, I totally, totally agree, especially how it starts with ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, because that's how it started for me is I was just, I would realize how terrible I was speaking to myself and all the awful things I was mm-hmm. saying to myself. And then that inadvertently, you start saying that around your students and they're so impressionable and they're taking their cues from you. So yeah, it, it really does start with ourselves and yeah, there is a new expectation and a new boundaries. Um, and I think it's a Toni Morrison quote about like, you, once you know better, you do better. Right. I think, I think that's who said that, but yeah, I apply, I try and apply that to my teaching all the time. And I think that's such a valuable thing for us as teachers and educators to realize is that it's okay if you, if you did it one way, like everybody, 99% of the time, everybody is doing the best they can with what they've got. Mm -hmm. But once we have that new knowledge, once we know better, now it's time to act on it and make some changes so that we can do better for future generations. Right. And that goes on to, I mean, this is a discussion you and I could probably have for days and days and days about (laughs) putting kids on point too early, forcing splits, um, you know, whether fourth and fifth position ground plie is relevant anymore, all those things that now we're more educated about these things and about how the body grows and um, all that good stuff. Just because it's always been done a certain way doesn't mean that it has to continue. You can be the end of that and um, moving on to a better way of doing things, right? Right. Break the cycle. No Break more ground. No more ground yes. in fourth position. Yes. <laughs> all right. So let's change gears a little bit. So you've got a lot, you said you wear a lot of hats. You have this business, which has all these facets. You're also a teacher, um, which we didn't touch on. Um, but I know you're teaching Spanish and music now as well. So how do you, how do you find <laughs> balance with all of this stuff? Um, with your, your personal life, with your jobs and your different businesses, how do you balance or find harmony with all of that? Oh, yeah. I think balance is one of those things for me personally anyways. And I relate this to the idea of balance in dance. Like when we're balanced in dance, we're never like, it's not a static position, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's not like you achieve balance and you hold it and you just forever and ever and ever. Like, even balancing is just this constant negotiation, right? Like when you're in a balance in a retire or some attitude, whatever, like you're constantly just kind of renegotiating. It's a little bit more to the right. I need to engage my core. I need to lift this arm. I need to press my shoulders down. So that act of balancing has so much going on behind it, which I think is really important. It's important for me to remember. I don't know if that, and hopefully that analogy is helpful for other people, but I think balance gets this kind of stigma or idea behind it that like you hold your balance and you just like everything clenches and you don't let go and it's this tight, tight grip but that's just so contrary to, you know, how life and balance actually works. So for me personally, you know, the balance of just doing so many things and wearing so many hats is constantly changing. One month it might, you know, work really well to wake up at 6am and meditate and then go into work early and, you know, other months or for one week, it's just like, no, it's like 12 hour days and not a lot of sleep. And 
then I negotiate, renegotiate again the next week where maybe I can delegate a little bit more work. And so, yeah, I, I feel like there's no real, there's not one like set answer for that to me. It's Mm -hmm. just always kind of checking in with myself, checking in with what needs to be done, my goals, um, you know, my family, my personal life, all of that kind of stuff. And then trying to mush it together in this messy, but beautiful way that works for me. Loving this episode of the Dance Studio Amplified podcast? Head over to iTunes to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And while you're there, don't forget to rate and review. I would truly appreciate it as it helps me reach more amazing studio owners and educators like you doing so much to make a positive impact. Right. I think, so that analogy makes me think of um, like forcing, like we can't force balance. It has to be more, more like fluid mm-hmm. and it's going to change and it's going to be whatever feels good from week to week. And um, whatever is, is calling and needs more of your focus. Right. So I love that, that thought about just kind of checking in and seeing what works this week and what's going to work next week and what's going to work um, next month and just being flexible and not being so hard on ourselves as far as it has to be this way. It has to be one hour of this and one hour of that and one hour of this and um, really forced. I love that. Yeah. Okay. So I know you are kind of a woo girl like me. Yes. Yes. All the woo. (laughs) Show me your woo. Um, What does your, what kind of daily rituals do you have that you feel have contributed to um, your success or feeling more, um, focused or productive? Mm, I love this question. Mm-hmm. Um, so meditation is a big part of it for me. Um, I, at the beginning of this year, I tried to make a goal to meditate three to five times a week. Um, and again, because life and balance, <laughs> sometimes that has happened. Sometimes it hasn't. Um, the summer is especially busy for me, so I haven't been able to really stick to it for the past couple months. Um, but things are starting to slow down and I'm getting into back to school mode. So I've tried, I've started to incorporate daily meditation again. Um, and it's just, when I do it on a daily basis, it's, it's so transformative. Like I just notice such a huge difference in myself and how I go about my day and how I treat other people and how I treat myself. Um, so meditation is a big one for me. Um, and that again, depends on the day. Some days I might just do a five minute meditation. Some days it's a walking meditation. If I've got longer, maybe it's 10 or 15 minutes. Um, but I, I really do notice such a big difference when I make that a part of my daily routine. So that's a big one for me. Um, and another one is journaling. Um, I have so much going on in my brain all the time, like I know so many of us do, that writing it out, and I'm a big fan too of like pen to paper. Um, I love, you know, computer and technology for just quick notes and stuff like that. But there's something about putting pen to paper for me and actually writing um, that feels just like such a stress relief and helps me process, you know, any ideas or things that I might be worried or anxious about. Um, So those are probably two of my big ones is journaling and meditation. Um, But 
I'll go on, I'll go woo on the other end of the spectrum as well and tell <laughs> you that I am obsessed lately with um, crystals. Mm-hmm. And, um, I got into essential oils earlier this year as well. Um, and I, I can't put my finger on what it is with both of those. I think for the essential oils, it's just so much of like that smell kind of like it, our sense and power of smell is just so like crazy powerful um, that that I think just smelling things and kind of calming down. And um, I think that has a lot to do with like kind of grounding me when I, you know, might feel a little crazy or stressed. Um, And I think the crystals thing is just, it's fun. Like Mm -hmm. they're pretty, they're colorful, you know? So I've had a really fun time experimenting with, crystals and, you know, kind of carrying them around and keeping them in my workspace and learning more about them. And yeah, I think the learning part too is like, I love learning. I love, you know, finding new things and new perspectives. And so I think that's part of it too. It's just kind of exploring something that's, that's so new and like outside of my typical kind of routine. Mm-hmm. Oh, crystals is something that I've always been intrigued by, but I've never gotten into. So maybe I'll be checking in with you on Ooh. what's the best place to start. So yes, if, if say there's someone listening who, who is kind of curious about getting started in, in meditation and journaling or crystals or anything like that, wh- what would be your thoughts on getting started? Do you recommend guided meditations? Do you recommend a journaling prompts? Like, or, or do you just um, do unguided things where you just sit in silence. What, what's your thoughts on getting started with that? Yeah. So I started meditation with the Headspace app, which I will recommend all day long. I've, I know there's tons of different apps out there now, but Headspace for me, I started it when it was still kind of new. Um, but I loved their approach because they did like a 10 day free trial where they, it is guided. So they kind of talk you through how to do it because I think meditation is one of those things that can be a little intimidating if you haven't done it before. And I find it's, I would imagine anyways, that for a beginner to just like sit in silence and breathe for five minutes would be like, um, what the heck? Yeah. (laughs) So then the great thing about Headspace was that, you know, they kind of explained the science behind it. They gave you really great visuals, um, and it's guided the entire time. I think it's maybe it's between five and 10 minutes. So it's not, you know, a huge time commitment. It's a nice solid chunk. Um, and then after that, after you go through that kind of 10 day cycle, then it opens up like, okay, well you can do more guided meditation. There's a, there's a meditation for sleep series that you can do. If you were really into just like sitting in silence, there's options where it's, you know, they will intro the meditation for you, but then leave it open-ended and then bring you back out. Um, So that's, I really loved that about giving me like a nice solid foundation. So I knew, I felt like I knew what I was doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then it just kind of opened up from there. So Headspace is a big recommendation. And then the journaling that I really loved and kind of what got me on a tangent of journaling is the artist's way. Mm, I haven't heard of that one. Oh yeah. It's, it's a great one. I actually had a therapist recommend it to me when I was in college. Um, so it's Julia Cameron and she, 
she's written tons of books, but um, from what I understand, Artist Way is like her big, her big work, her most famous work. Um, and it's, so in addition to it being a book, it's also an approach to your mornings, like having a morning ritual where you, first thing you do, you get up and you write three pages, just flow of consciousness. You know, it can be totally gibberish. You're just getting it out on paper and then you're ready to like start your day. Uh, so I did her approach, I want to say it's maybe like a three-month program or something like that, um, with worksheets and all sorts of guided exercises. Um, so that's what started me on my journaling. And then since then, it's just been kind of, again, going back to the balance thing. Like some years, you know, I did it every single day. And then other other months or other years, it was like I just popped in and out and I would do it, you know once a week or a couple times a week. Um, but yeah, I recommend the artist way to anybody who is, you know, maybe curious about how to kind of harness all of those big, beautiful ideas that we have bouncing around in our brain and sometimes feeling overwhelmed by them or looking for a way to just kind of harness them in a way that still feels creative and supportive, but also helps you feel grounded and not so crazy. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. So you use Headspace. I, I like a uh, simple habit, which is very similar. It sounds, okay. sounds exactly like that where they have, you know, like five or 10 minute guided or unguided and all these, um, like sleep or anxiety or abundance, or if you're worried about something so similar idea, but I think that that is, I agree. I think guided meditation or doing some sort of like trial of a guided meditation series is like the best place to start because just sitting in silence, you're like, what am I supposed to be doing? What am I supposed to be thinking about? You start, and then you start thinking like, well, my brain won't stop thinking. Yeah. <laughs> I'm supposed to be not thinking about anything. And now I'm thinking about the fact that I'm thinking about stuff. <laughs> and, and so and then the meditation's over, right? So right. I think having the guidance to go through and, and focus you on what you're supposed to be thinking is a great idea. And I love the recommendation of the journal, um, journaling there. I've never heard of that. So that's great. We'll make sure to link Ooh, that yeah. up in the totally. show notes. Yeah. Okay. So talk to us when you gave us kind of your introduction on your journey. You said when you moved to New York, that's when you had this house where you started the dance lessons and things like that. So is that the biggest turning point in your business or um, has there been something else that really shifted your view of your business? Mm, good question. I, yeah, I do think it was the move to New York because it just, it shook up so many different elements. Like not only physically was I moving from one coast to another coast, but like all of my belongings weren't like now, you know, either gone <laughs> in goodwill or and there was just so much behind like getting from California to New York that shook things up that it felt like, well, everything else is kind of up in the air, you know, mine as well. And then when the dust kind of settled, like once I was moved and everything, um, then it just, it felt so much clearer. Like it, it almost felt like all of the habits and the noise and the stories that I had been telling myself about why I couldn't do things one way, like that had its own life in California. And then when I kind of separated and went to New York, it just felt like it opened up this new way of thinking and this new way of like, Oh, well things are different now. So I could try this and, um, 
yeah, actually I've never quite like, I've never verbally like processed it out loud like that before. So it's interesting to hear myself say it as well. But yeah, I think that has been the biggest kind of turning point um, so far. I'm sure, you know, I'm sure there's lots more to come, but it is, yeah, I think sometimes just really shaking up your routine um, or, you know, your way of thinking or whether it's a physical move or taking time off and then just kind of letting things settle, letting the dust settle and seeing, you know, how, how the cookie has crumbled, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's so, oh my gosh, I can't believe you just verbalized that for the first time. <laughs> um, that is nuts. And it's, I guess it's kind of like, well, you had nothing to lose. And so the fear was like, Phew, if this right. doesn't work out, I'll just do something else. So I think that's so incredible. And so such a lesson that some of our biggest things, some of our biggest ideas, some of our biggest opportunities are just when there is like, when we just like let go of our fear, when we just go for it and say like, whatever happens, happens. And, and look where, you know, three years later, look what's, what's happened. And it's amazing. And would that have happened if you'd stayed in California? Maybe, but who knows? And so I think that's just such a, a good learning lesson for everybody who's listening that, um, to try to, you know, even, doesn't mean Katrina wasn't afraid, which I don't know. Were you afraid when you started oh, that? Yeah. <laughs> I still catch myself and I'm like, how did I wind up here in this town of 300 people? What am I doing? <laughs> yeah. And then you, but you did it anyway, feel the fear and do it anyway, right. yeah. which is like my favorite book. Okay. So what is the best advice you have ever received? Mm. I am going to say, thank God for therapy, really, Mm. Um, because it came from a therapist. Um, And oddly enough, it goes back to our, our chat about boundaries. But my therapist told me that when someone is pointing the finger at you, there's still three fingers pointing back at them. And I know, obviously, people who are listening can't see this, but I'm like pointing at you <laughs> across the computer. But there's still those three fingers that are pointing back at me. So meaning that, you know, when someone is upset with you, or they are telling you that you're doing something wrong, or you're never going to make it, and they're pointing that finger at you, there's still that really has more to do with their own insecurities and their own fears and their own judgments than it does have with you. Mm-hmm. And I, I keep this in mind all the time, especially like as I was creating the Peace Pathfinder, because it goes back to that boundaries. Like when we do have parents who are upset or staff members who are upset or even students who, you know, are upset and don't understand like why they are in this class or why they can't go on point you know, even though they're, they're shaking their finger at you and saying, you're doing this to me, this is your fault. They're, it's really, it's just stemming from an insecurity and something that they're upset about or afraid about with them. So I try and keep that in mind in pretty much all situations. And I find it helps me. It just tunes me back into compassion mm-hmm. and, you know, remembering that even though people may not act like it, um, they're most of the time they're really doing the best that they can with what they've got. Um, so that, that piece of advice has really seen me through some, some tough times and tough interactions and relationships. 
That is so good. And I, I actually just got off a, before our interview, I was talking with some of my mastermind ladies and we were talking about some, some students that were upset about their placement. Mm. And um, this member was talking about these students are upset with their placement, but yet they did not come to these extra classes. They have not earned that place and how she was continually having to reiterate to them, like, this is, this is kind of your responsibility. You know, I'm just the one that's enforcing this placement. You're, you're the one that's responsible for this pla- for, you know, not moving up into this advanced group that you wanted to. And I think that that kind of goes back to what you were saying, where they might be blaming her for her placement, but they actually caused that in some way. And the same thing is true about, you know, when, when maybe people complain about you raising your prices or people complain about the attendance policy or things, it's, you know, something is going on inside them mm-hmm. that whether, whether it's from their upbringing or their experience or whatever, something in their belief system or their value system that um, maybe is not the same as yours and that's okay. Um, but I think it helps take the, the personal mm. part of it, right? We, t- we take it so personally, like they're rejecting us or like we're wrong, but really it's just, they have just a different, different perspective and it's, it's partially related to their experience and their perspective. And I think that that is something very wise to carry through in your interactions when you do have those tough conversations, right? It's sometimes people just want to be heard mm-hmm. and, um, it doesn't mean that your opinion is any less valid. It just, just recognizing, you know, we all want to be heard and seen and all that good stuff. So I love that. That's great advice. Okay. So you have, um, a quiz, right? Tell us about this quiz. Ooh, yes. My quiz. Um, I, so I started this quiz because I was, I was totally one of those kids growing up who was like all into like the 17 quizzes and the Cosmo quizzes. And I'm still a sucker for them if I see them online and one catches my eye, you know, and I'll totally, I know it, they like are silly, but (laughs) they're just fun, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So again, kind of going back to, you know, my observations of with when I see or when I talk to other dance teachers um, and trying to figure out, you know, how I can serve them or what we all need, what kind of what collectively would help serve us all best. Um, I was just like, wouldn't it be cool if we could take a quiz, if dance teachers or educators, studio owners could take a quiz and like find out what their unique strengths are and not so much a quiz. Like, are you a mean dance teacher? Are you the strict dance teacher? (laughs) Right. Because we have those labels too. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm sure we all identify with, you know, some of us identify with the mean teacher or the strict or the fun, whatever. So it's not so much that it's more like, are you a dance educator who is really great at motivating students? Like, is that one of your superpowers is motivating students? Or maybe you are really um, focused on bringing your community together and connecting the dots with your students between dance and movement and, um, you know, community and performance and, you know, different various art disciplines. Because there's, I mean, there's so many ways that we that we do what we do, right? And each of us has such unique, awesome traits and skills that we bring to dance education and studio ownership. Um, So I wanted to see if there was a way where I could kind of combine all of that and then distill down like what some of the top strengths were. 
and then allow dance educators to, you know, follow that path even further and find out like, oh, okay, here are some things that I'm really good at. Here's how I can use my strengths to really serve my students or my communities. And while these are some things that I'm really good at, maybe I could use some extra help or some extra guidance with these other areas um, because, you know, we're all great, but we're not all great at everything. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to try and balance it between that, like giving people a nice boost and confidence boost about like, you are really amazing at these things. And here's some other things that would make you even more amazing and even more successful at what you're already doing. So that's what the, what kind of dance teacher are you quiz is all about. Awesome. Well, we'll make sure to link that up in the show notes so that everybody can take it and check it out because I think that's so great. And sometimes you just need, you're like, oh, I know I'm good at this, but what else could I be doing to make it my classes even better to make my students even more engaged? So I think that is so incredible that you're doing that. And so we'll definitely make sure you guys make sure to check it out, check out the show notes. I'll give you the link for all that. Katrina will get that to me. And, and you can take that and see the, all the good stuff. Yeah. All right. Really rapid fire here. Oh, okay. 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 Favorite things. Okay. Favorite way to spend your downtime. Um, outside in the mm-hmm. sun. I love me some sunshine. That's the California girl in me. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. Favorite mantra. Ooh. Um, what you appreciate, appreciates. Ooh, ooh, I like that. Yeah. Okay, favorite product or app you are using right now? It doesn't have to be business related. It could be anything. Um, I'm going to say Duolingo, actually, because <laughs> I do also teach Spanish. And um, not only is Duolingo a huge help in my Spanish classes for the students, but it also helps me kind of just keep up on my vocabulary. And um, yeah, and plus, like I said, I always I love learning. So mm-hmm. I am going to go with Duolingo on that mm-hmm. one. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Katrina. I so appreciate all of those valuable insights and tidbits. I'm sure everyone's going to love all of that valuable stuff that you had to share. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for having me. This was a great conversation. Yes, of course. Thanks for listening today, guys. I hope you enjoyed all of the valuable nuggets. I will talk to you soon. Take care. much for listening to the dance studio amplified podcast i hope today's episode has been so helpful for you be sure to visit the confidentdancestudio.com where you can join the conversation access all the show notes and discover all sorts of free content designed to help you in your studio 